Lincoln, thanks for joining me. I know you've been in a place recently that doesn't have as much freedom as Miami. Is that true? Yeah, I was in, uh, just got back to Toronto from Ottawa uh, late last week. I was there since the 28th of January covering the uh, truckers convoy, as we all know. That was for so long, man. How, like, did you expect to be there for that long? No. <laughs> <laughs> I originally packed for two days, so I said, uh, the, I was in, the intention was two days originally, and then obviously we realized that the truckers weren't leaving, so Ezra told me to stay, and uh, three weeks later, yeah. That's what it, Did it seem like they were planning to stay for as long as possible right away? Because there were so many rumors about people taking tires off their trucks and, and, and just parking there for as long as possible. Was the feeling from the get-go that they weren't going to stay? Or did they sort of escalate when the government escalated, do you think? Yeah, they, like the majority of truckers that we spoke to, their intention was to stay for sure. It was just hard to gauge on the ground. We kept on thinking that truckers were leaving. We were seeing trucks move to different spots, with, which made us think that they were leaving. But uh, all in all, I would say the majority of the trucks were stayed there for the, the duration of the three-week period. And uh, it wasn't until the very end, the, when the police, which we all saw the police crackdown, that a lot of the truckers just said, I'm going to get out of here instead of getting my truck damaged. Uh, towed, so impounded, whatever the case may be. So, uh, I was so point being, majority of the truckers stayed until uh, the very end, but a lot of them got out of town real quick when the uh, when they heard police were coming. Now, if we fast forward to, you know, when they first started saying that they're going to start laying charges down, did people start to dissipate right away, or was it a, a slow trickle of people leaving, or how how quickly did people start to leave their posts there? Well, basically what happened was, so this all happened on the 18th, I believe, of, so the 18th of February is when the police actually came in and started to basically sweep out the convoy. But uh, two days, uh, two days prior to that, so on the Wednesday, they started handing out these notices, these blue notices uh, from the Ottawa police saying that uh, if you're a part of the convoy, you know, if you have a car, a vehicle parked on the streets of Ottawa that is part of the convoy, you must leave the area now. You're facing threats of arrest, et cetera, et cetera. So they kind of warmed up the uh, the protesters, the supporters, the truckers. And then the following day, they handed out a the same kind of notice, but this time it was red. So I guess they were just giving sort of two warnings. And then on the Friday, they came and uh, and basically full the uh, full force of the police came to sweep out the, uh, the convoy. A lot of the stuff we saw whether it's people being trampled, having their trucks being broken into by police. Did that frighten people or did that make them want to stay more? I'd imagine there's a lot of old people there who started, once they started busting out horses, running people over and SWAT teams busting in windows that they might've gotten a little scared. Yeah, it was like, even me being on the ground, like, you know, I'm a journalist, so I feel like I have some sort of protection, although not really, because we saw Andrew Lawton got pepper sprayed, Alexa Lavoie got shot with the tear gas canister, Guillaume, uh, one of our cameramen, got pepper sprayed. So I, I, but even still, I still felt like I had a little bit more protection if I played it right, if I didn't get too close to the what they were calling the front line, which is basically the line that the police officers made, various different units from Canada, and then 
the protesters on the other side. So at times it would get very tense and, you know, people were legitimately trying to hold the line. So st stop the police from coming up and moving in on the convoy without real, like they weren't being violent about it. They were just kind of like, just you like a human chain. And it was so easy to get mixed up in that chain. And there was elderly people we saw in, in my live stream, you can see an old man collapses. Some people were saying he had a heart attack, stroke, can't confirm any of that, but he was on the ground from the crowd, you know, just basically backing up on him. So, uh, it, you know, it depends. I would say that a lot of the people, once they saw that it was getting really crazy, a lot of the older people and stuff, they kind of got out of the crowd or just kept their distance. But matter of fact is just to see the police, you know, smashing the windows of the rigs, just no questions asked, just dragging the truckers out. And we've seen the videos of them, you know, kneeing protesters while making arrests, multiple officers on top of one uh, protester. So... The only violence I saw was from the police. You know, I was there for three weeks on the ground and there was no violence from protesters within the convoy. Uh, the only violence was when the police came. Let's talk about when Alexa got shot by the gas canister, I guess it was. Um, so what was what did you see from that? What was going on at the time? Did you think it was justified force for them to be shooting this stuff into the crowd? How did you feel about the whole situation? So basically that was day two. So the whole crackdown from the police happened over two days. So basically they uh, cleared out an area of Wellington Street, which is where the majority of the demonstration had been taking place. And then they basically formed a, a line and then camped out on that line uh, overnight. And then once again in the morning, we got word that there was a huge uh, police presence uh, not far from uh, where it had ended the previous night. So they just, they just, trickled in and uh we you know we started going live and then next thing you know so they would just say they would all the police would just start saying move move and that's when they had batons and they would basically just they're trying to just gain ground right to eventually sweep the whole convoy out so as that was happening we started hearing pops going off like pops and we assume they're just tear gas canisters but they were so loud because they were being fired from a rifle so that happened and I didn't even realize I was on my live stream. And I didn't even realize I just saw people commenting saying Alexa's injured, Alexa's leg. People were saying Alexa's leg is broken, you know, like just a whole bunch of things. So I, I, I didn't know what was actually happening until uh, I saw her about an hour and a half later. She's a trooper and she came back and told me what had actually happened. And uh, you can see uh, you can see a slight angle of her running off after she got shot in my live stream. But at the time, I had no idea and then realized after that she literally got shot point blank in the leg. Mm. with uh, I don't know the name of the rifle but it's a rifle that shoots tear gas canisters and uh, yeah it's, it's crazy to think of there's a lawsuit there isn't there I don't know how much you heard about it but there is like people saying that that was staged I don't know if you heard <laughs> that that Alexa's thing? That Alexa being shot was staged because you know how we have websites that we get up like people think that there is a and I remember one for Avi Amini when he was arrested and people thought that was staged so not, and David Menzies, of course, which you were also there for, where people think that we actually send people in to get hurt like that. And just because we have a web team who's able to put up a website, that it must be faked. It's, it's wild stuff. And I know we're in a position now where most people don't believe everything they see and they shouldn't. But how does it feel thinking that people, you know, they think what you're involved in is, is staged and faked. And we can go back to David Menzies if you want to, getting roughed up by the RCMP. Yeah, it's crazy to think because I'm there, you know, boots on the ground, actually, you know, putting in my time and effort. 
you're just trying to show people what's actually happening there. That's why I went live just to like, so people, just so basically people can't have those excuses, right? So that they can't say it's cut up. They can't say it's edited. If you just go live, you know, everything is there for you to judge. You can come up with your own conclusions from the live feed. And it's just crazy that people come up with these theories, these rumors, whatever you want to call them, when all the evidence is right there. You can't stage that. There's just no way. So I think it's just, they're just trolls, just people just trying to create something out of nothing. And it's so obvious to anyone that's seen the footage, that's seen the live streams. Uh, that's not the case. And even with the, you know, we didn't go live for with David Menzies when he got his head slammed by uh, Trudeau's RCMP officers. But even though there's just no arguing the footage, there just there's no arguing the footage and people are just going to say what they say. Now, tell me about some of the, the media coverage that this got. Obviously, we're up here in Canada in our own little bubble. When Sean Hannity's people called, does that freak you out a little bit? Yeah, it's just <laughs> crazy, to be honest. I, I can just consider myself lucky. I was in, uh, on a hot story. It had international tension. Everybody was talking about it at, uh, at one point. And, you know, when you're really in Ottawa, you could feel the buzz, the energy about it. We saw Fox News on the ground there, which I don't think they come. I don't think they put people in Canada too often like that, unless it's a big story. So, I think it's something I'll remember forever, definitely. And just uh, you don't really, again, you don't really realize when you're in the thick of it how big of a story it actually is and how much of an impact it may or may not have. But uh, looking back at it, it's just no regrets on the coverage I did for sure. Yeah, that's like six, seven, or eight million people watching live there. However many Hannity has, you think about that while you're doing it. That's great. I did never did a live stream before <laughs> no. going to Ottawa. <laughs> I just, it was all so new to me. Yankee, one Yankee, our social media guy, which I'm sure a lot of you guys know who he is. He uh, he kind of just coached me through how to do the live streams, and you know said it would be valuable to do them. So and same with the I was doing some uh, on Getter, and that just kind of introduced me to it, and just kept on doing them. And then I kind of got a little bit more comfortable with uh, doing the live broadcast, but. I don't think there's any preparing for when like Hannity calls Fox News. I, I was just just thinking in my head, just don't screw up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, right? And then there was that other one. I think it was the Hill where they tried to bait you into talking about like Charlottesville, which is something before you or I were ever even in like news media happened before. Like we weren't even in uh, 2017. I think neither of us were in like the media when this was going on. And this guy sort of just and and. After the fact, I sort of looked into him, and he's kind of like their guy who tries to get people. He's like their Washington, like I'll call him shill kind of guy. Uh, and any feelings on that about a guy who basically like the segments about Ottawa, and all of a sudden somebody tries to basically ruin your credibility, like one of your first like big uh, exposures to U.S. audiences. Yeah. So basically when people when they when some different stations and stuff were reaching out to me in ottawa because we only had like a couple people on the ground there so i was getting reached out to a, uh, a little bit and uh, i would just ask sheila if what she thought about it so sheila said yeah just go for it with the hill i we were so busy down there i didn't really have time to do my research and and kind of like i prepared what i could but not to like break down who I'm going in front of and who's going to be asking me questions. And they were just really quick hits. So I didn't really think anything of it. So I set up in my usual spot and uh, everything was going 
everything was great as we were leading up to actually going on air. The So it was a panel of three hosts and uh, it was one female, I forget her name, and then two male hosts. I forget I forget their names. And basically, uh, it was all good. They were, they were chatting with me, just mainly the female host was chatting with me and I was getting good vibes overall from it. And then even the show opened up good. They started asking me questions and this guy just brought up Charlottesville two or three times yeah. throughout the interview. And I just, I just dodged, just kind of no commented it, but cause I really have no comment on it. So I just said that. And then he asked me again, right before the show is about to end, he asked me for a final time. He's like, why don't you want to comment on Charlottesville? You know, it's <laughs> like, it's just leaving me with a bit of discomfort. Uh. And I'm just, and then the uh, female host actually, uh, she kind of intervenes and she's like, why are you at, she actually, defended me and she's like why are you asking him these questions we're we're talking about the truckers convoy why are you bringing this up and basically i just answered i said i was in college at the time yeah. like i have no clue what you're talking about so i could feel that it was just that they were baiting me or something or at least the one the one guy was definitely baiting me i could feel the energy right away and it kind of shook me when i was getting interviewed i i didn't expect it at all just to bring up something so out of the blue such a such a different topic but uh it was nice to see that uh the co-host defended me and looking back at it, I'm happy I did it. It was a good experience to see that not everyone, not all media outlets that reach out to you are going to try and uh, give you exposure that's in your favor. So, and Jimmy Dore also broke down mm -hmm. the interview too, which kind of was the cherry on top. Yeah. It's interesting that I, I'm pretty familiar with the Hill. I mean, I, we all, most people know that they're left wing, but that morning show that they do is supposed to be like, fairly down the middle and just reporting on Washington news. And I think that surprised a lot of people. And like you mentioned, Jimmy Dore talked about it, who's, I think he's basically an anarchist. I'm not sure what his actual, like he would call himself, but like him defending it was really funny. Um, did any of the mainstream Canadian outlets reach out to you? Like, were you on any of those? Were you on any CTVs or CP2 for anything? No. And it, isn't that interesting? Yeah, I think looking back at it now, I think it was all um, I think it was all American outlets. Yeah, it wasn't any any Canadian outlets. They all had their their experts and their people on the ground that they wanted to talk to. We would see them out out there every day, but I just they don't. I think it's obvious they don't want anything to do with with Rebel News. Yeah, it's it's pretty sad there. Colin DeMello, CTV News, um, reporting live. Um, what year are we on of of lockdowns now? Like we're just in Ontario. Things are, passports are getting lifted. You've been reporting on this along with the others for at least two years now. First question, did you ever think it would be this long? Second question, do you think we ever actually get out of this stuff? Yeah, it's crazy to think how long it's actually been. Um, when I, when I remember I was working as a waiter before I was even in this world, I was just finishing up college and you know, I remember just saying to one of my coworkers in the restaurant, I was like, it was like the night before they were, it was the night before, it was my final shift at the restaurant and they were shutting stuff down the next day. And we're just like, I have a feeling this isn't going to, this is going to be the last time I'm going to see you for a while. <laughs> and just like, we just had a feeling that this was, that something, that there was something more and that this was going to last a long time. But I don't think anybody thought that we'd still be dealing with it, that we were just going to be coming out of lockdown. What was it? Two months ago after there's, the majority of the country is double vaccinated, so I don't think anybody thought that this was this was going to go on this long. And w second question is, where do I see this going? Do you think it's going to end? Do you think we're actually going to end, and or do you think we're just going to move on to something else? 
That's what most people are saying. We're just going to move on to a climate lockdown yeah. or there's going to be another, you know, bio thing going on. I don't know. It's hard. To, it's hard to tell. You're seeing Theresa Tam now. You know, they're doing giving the whispers again, saying that, yes, we you know, they are lifting the uh, vaccine passport provincially. But now but they're saying, as usual, that, you know, they will bring them back if necessary, if things continue to spike, I believe, in the fall. So I don't know. It's just so hard to predict. Half of me believes that we are kind of exiting it. The other half of me believes that we're going to see them come back or we're going to see masks come back if they're eventually lifted. So I don't know. It's it's just hard to tell. I don't know. Watching police interactions for this long now, what's your opinion on them been like? Has it changed for better or for worse? And do you think that the general public opinion has changed as much as I do? Because I used to look at myself, you'd see those videos. I don't like I have my opinions on the George Floyds and the Arbery's and the guy who tried to kidnap his kid and everything got shot and all this stuff, all these cops, all the Black Lives Matters and everything. And it's like, you know what? Police have a tough job. You can take that position. But then you start working up here during lockdowns and all of a sudden the police are ticketing you for shaking hands. There was the one day where yourself, myself, writer Dave and producer Efron were reporting and the cops didn't like us standing next to each other. They tried to disperse us for standing near next to each other on a street corner. Does your opinion change going forward or do you, are you just a little bit more cautious? How do you feel about policing now? It depends. There's good cops and there's bad cops. I have multiple friends, some that I grew up with, went to high school with, that are police officers. Now I know they're good guys, but at the same time, it's hard for me to look at police officers who are taking the over the time and a half pay to come down to Ottawa and to you know, treat these protesters like like animals, to be quite frank. And again, you could tell when you're out there, you can tell that a lot of the officers didn't really want anything to do with it. They kind of just wanted this over and done with. I'm sure they just went for the money. But at the same time, you see so many police officers just acting so viciously. So it's really hard to tell. I don't want to categorize all of them into one into one category because they're all different. But definitely there's a there's a different sense for uh, policing now. It seems like they are acting, they're following orders a lot more. And uh, I don't know, it's a lot harder to just simply back the blue. You really have to characterize them individually. What do you think now is the way forward for us as like a province or even a country in terms of who to vote for? Because we thought we had the conservative party in charge of us for a while uh, with Doug Ford and then in Alberta and everything. And it, it turns out that their way of governing is still taking away your rights. Do you have any thoughts just from like a, a person or a voter's perspective about what you think the next move forward should be for us as a people? Like not even who to vote for, but like what type of thing should we be looking for? I think it's hard to say who to vote for. A lot of people like a lot of people that I was speaking to in Ottawa while I was covering the truckers convoy were very excited about Pierre Polyev uh, being elected the leader of the Conservative Party, but a lot of people at the same time were like, he's just another politician. So it's just hard to tell. I think moving forward, though, the thing that just needs to be respected all across the board is not coercing and not coercing people to take a vaccine that they 
simply don't want to take for whatever reason that's their own and simply the mandates the all these things are just infringing on people's rights and uh, we see the rest of the world around us slowly starting to lift these mandates and basically put COVID in the past so uh, whoever is uh, whoever whoever we elect whoever should be in power in Canada needs to understand that and respect people's rights and not coerce people for not taking a vaccine do not fire people for not taking a vaccine and simply if do not force people to wear a mask if you can respect all those things like those are the main things that's uh, that's changed canada from what it once was to what it is now and no more lockdowns do you think people are going to stop wearing masks it's going to be 50 50 maybe a bit it's so tough to say some people really like it some people really like to police people that was one of your early predictions was the um you know people wanting to use a mask as a way to hide from the public yeah i think that's true i think that's very true that i think a lot of people just like to wear the mask just because it kind of like if they're shy or whatever the case may be i think the mask is kind of like a form of protection almost you know you can <laughs> hide a lot of your emotions, your facial expressions, and just cover it up with the mask. I think it's true. Hopefully we're not. I think once that pe once enough people do it, people will stop doing it, as in take it off. I think it's one of those social things that, like, no matter what, it's not going to be preferable to wear a mask. You get it, It's sweaty after minutes. I try not to ever wear one. What do you think is going to be the next uh, big thing that's going to happen in Canada that we're going to send you to cover? I for six know. weeks i don't know i feel like there i feel like so many people got ex so excited over what we saw happen with the truckers and the convoy that i think it i wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be something similar similar to like that similar to that in the near future i don't know if it's a convoy to uh, another part of canada where they basically do the same thing and uh and park out front of somewhere i just don't know so many things did happen behind the scenes while the truckers were there and uh a lot of people believe that it helped push, <clears throat> helped push COVID behind us even more. So I'm not sure. It's tough to predict. Uh, but if I had to, if I had to guess, I would say yes. There will be something in the in the near future that uh, people are going to get behind. I don't know if it'll be a convoy, but what exactly is that going to be? I don't know. So Lincoln, we were talking about some fake news with the trucker protests in Ottawa, people thinking conspiracies. How closely are you watching Ukraine, Russia right now? And are you as skeptical as I am of everything, given what we've learned the past couple of years with COVID and everything? I, at first, I was kind of just, you know, it's just like when COVID hit, you don't know what to, you're trying to filter through everything, right? There's basically breaking news and you're just trying to filter out what's real, what's not. I don't know. It's so hard to predict right now. I'm hearing mixed stories. I like to talk to Dave, our our editor, <laughs> and he, he kind of gives me a good consensus on, on what's going on. I just don't know. Once again, we're seeing these crazy images. Like, I don't know if you saw with the cardboard, uh, the cardboard AK-47s. Yeah, I did see that guy. That was run on Fox News. You know, and I'm seeing that. And then I saw the Time magazine cover of the lady who uh, was in some sort of bombing and people are saying that's from 2018 so i don't know when i see them using images that aren't related to the actual conflict it definitely sends out some red flags for sure so i don't know what to make of it yeah i'm torn between you know people doing that on purpose and people just being bad reporters there's that adam kinzinger guy um and we can just look up his twitter and bring it up 
He had the Ghost of Kiev guy, which was the Sam Hyde comedian, Photoshop. Um, and then there's people using footage of bombings from, I think it was from 2018, a gas explosion that you have a girl yelling at a soldier. The girl was actually like a Palestinian little girl. So maybe we can have a little bit of a mashup of all the things that have been proven wrong. But it's gotten to the point here where I, I'm not seeing... And I, I'm sure by the time this even airs that I'm going to be proven wrong by some stuff. But I'm not seeing the, pe the people dying in the streets. I'm not seeing anything other than a, some buildings being shot with missiles, which is, in my guess, when that happens, that means somebody's firing from this building, like an apartment building. But um, I'm kind of coming at it from the angle of Ukraine is this notoriously corrupt country where the Clintons and the Obamas and uh, the Bidens will have to work out of. And now all of a sudden, have, have, do you notice the sort of like the social media machine behind it? Like whenever we have like a BLM thing or a rainforest thing, it's the same sort of deal where it's like, you're a good person if you support this and change your flag and everything. Do you get that feeling that it's got like that artificial push? Yeah, for sure. It's like when everyone posted the black screen mm -hmm. on their Instagram, it just seems like that. And it's just when, when the the mainstream media just completely jumps over a story so quickly and it's just the number one story i don't know immediately all these red flags just start going up i just they've been there's been so many things that they've said over this covid period that we now know are just completely not true and they were just willing to push that narrative whatever it may be with vaccines with masking everything that we were told was effective that turned out to be not effective at all so it's just it's just it's you just have to be so cautious when mainstream media is running these stories and then now with the internet with all these al other alternative sources we're able to see the other side of the story and uh and see what's actually happening i think it's too early to tell what's really happening but uh i guess time will tell who do you watch who do you look to for these things besides dave Sputnik is good. <laughs> they just banned uh, RT and Sputnik in Europe on on YouTube. It's get. I think it's going to get to this point where everything they did with you know people who are unvaxxed, they're going to start being treating that in the same way as they do with Russians. You know what I mean? Like they're already um, they kicked them out of the Olympics. They kicked them out of the World Cup. Uh, Russian teams aren't allowed to be in the soccer tournaments right now. People want Alexander Ovechkin to speak up and everything. Uh, Dominic Hasek, the former goalie, said that all NHL players who are Russian should be suspended. I don't know how that makes any sense, but uh, I feel like we're just going down this line. We're like, oh, we found another group of people we can otherize, and this is supposed. And as long as we're making ourselves feel like we're good people, then it's okay. But where does that exactly end? And I think this is going to be the first example. Like you can say. Uh, unvaccinated people are endangering other people and whatnot, but like just being a Russian person now is enough to to be criticized for your government. It doesn't make any sense to me. Makes makes no sense. So you're just gonna you're just gonna throw all Russians under this one bubble and say that all Russians uh, should be held responsible for what their leader is doing. So you know that Russian that Russian vodka company that's been yeah. boycotted. So what do they have a, is it, does Putin have stocks in it? Like, why is that related to, uh, why is that related to, to what's happening with the, with the war? It's just, 
that's another point when they're just when everybody is just jumping on something so quick they're boycotting everything from that country they're when i don't know i think it's just common sense to realize that you can't just put everybody under one umbrella well it's like why is it companies doing this it, it's like it's the new cool thing to do but like why is the first thing that a company's responsibility is to determine like it, it's like trying to please the government or oh, the but joe biden's gonna love us if we stop doing dealings with this russian company when in the end of the day we know that like a, a communist dictator is not gonna thank you at the end of the day they're just gonna you know hurt you if you're not doing what they they want and that's sort of the pressure i feel like these companies have succumbed to and they all just start doing it one by one just like with lockdowns, just like with Black Lives Matter on the basketball court, everybody, if you remember the brief period of time where like every video game had to have a BLM message and, every, and Amazon had to have it. It's like there's now these social norms that as long as a, a big company or the government pushes it, now it's something you have to do. And if you're not, you're outcast for some reason. I'm not sure I understand it. It stems from the top down. It's some very powerful and influential uh a company, a media company, a social media platform, like at the very top, they basically send the message and then it's like a domino effect and all these media companies, all these uh, all these platforms underneath them just follow suit whether they truly believe it or not. Makes me feel like high school. Okay, I'm going to pass out from the lights and I, I was sick for like six days, so I'm going to have to cut it short here before I fall asleep um, on this table and die. Thanks everybody for watching and sticking around for this extra segment with Lincoln J, Lincoln MJ on Twitter. Um, anything else we want them to follow you on? Nope, that's it. Just Twitter. It's where the fame is, where the cloud is. It's producer Efron is the, um, the, the blue check mark of producer Efron looms over us. His, <laughs> in, his influence gets to us. You know, when you get that retweet from a blue check mark, Efron grows in power each and every day. That's how you know you made it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being subscribers and loyal viewers of Rebel News Plus. Have a great week, you guys.